0: DKS twenty five is powered by Cliff Central, Uncensored, Unhinged, and Unradio.
1: Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, the podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal: to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds. Right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co.za or tweet this show using our handle at digitalkungfuza or follow us on facebook.com slash digitalkungfuza.
0: As entrepreneurs, we face failure daily. But it is our relationship with that fear of failure that determines whether we succeed or whether we fail. If you speak to any successful entrepreneur, they will always have a story to tell about a moment in time on the entrepreneurial journey where they questioned what they were doing and whether they would continue on their path. And it is these moments which literally define who we are as individuals and ultimately entrepreneurs. But the reality is that many of us simply cannot deal with the fear of failure or the reality of failing. And it is perhaps for this reason why so many entrepreneurs and startup founders fail at their entrepreneurial ambitions. So, how do we deal with this fear of failure and how do we overcome it? So, I reached out to Elon Rays. He's the CEO of Reyes Corp, which is one of the world's only unfunded and profitable incubators. Now, they currently incubate about 500 different businesses. So, I think he's uniquely positioned to help us get the answer about this fear of failure and how to overcome it. And pay particular attention to a really personal story that he shares. In the early days of Reyes Corp, his son was born and he actually couldn't even afford to pay the medical that's how tough it was when uh, when they got started. But now, looking back, he's running one of the world's most successful incubators. So without further ado, enter Elon Reyes. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 25th edition of the Digital Kung Fu Show. My name is Matt, and I'd like to kick us off with the quotes by Coco Chanel. She said, quote, Success is most often achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. Our guest today is regarded both locally and globally as a pioneer and maverick in the business incubation industry. He is the founder and CEO of RaceCorp, the only privately held unfunded, and profitable business incubator on the African continent, and it's currently supporting in excess of a massive 500 businesses. Elon, Race, thank you for your time today. It's great to have you in the hot seat.
1: Thanks so much, Matt.
0: Cool. So maybe you can kick us off with uh, giving us a quick overview of your entrepreneurial journey to date, and then we'll jump into the meat and potatoes of RaceCorp and entrepreneurship after that.
1: All right. It's a, it's a, long, uh, it's a long story. I'll try, and, I'll try and keep it brief. But I grew up uh, to entrepreneurial parents. I grew up in Durban in South Africa, and um, I was groomed to take over my, uh, the family business. But uh, for reasons I won't go into right now, I decided uh, that I was not going to pursue that and um, consequently made the decision to um, change my, my destiny, per se, because I was groomed to go in one direction and in one decision decided to go in another. And... Um, I landed up working for a friend of mine who had a retail clothing store and, uh, in Durban and it was battling. It wasn't doing well and I offered to help turn it around, which I did. and I got into the paper okay. and um, I got a call from a man who I didn't know who turned out to be a dollar billionaire who saw the article and offered to back me in any business I liked.
0: I uh, Champagne I- problems, eh?
1: Well, I didn't believe him, to be quite honest. I didn't believe uh, that that would happen, especially what I'd just been through uh, in the family business. And um, and so I uh, did nothing. And then two weeks later, he called me, and then uh, my new journey began. I started a business called the New York Sausage Factory, uh, which was a fast food operation selling hot dogs. I mm-hmm. uh, opened up in Pine Town, just outside of Durban. Uh, And it was an absolute failure. I tried everything to make that business work. I opened for evening trade, for the breakfast trade. I I did everything I possibly could think of right to the point where I put myself in hospital. I just was working solid. I I forgot to eat for a couple of days.
0: Yeah, those aren't champagne problems. No.
1: (laughs) So then then, uh, I went to him and uh, I, I plucked up the courage to go and see him. And to finally admit that I had failed, which was very hard for me as a young 20-something year old. Mm. And, um, you know, because I had worked out that I had everything that I needed. I had, uh, I had money, I had a mentor, I had uh, a good education, I had like everything you could dream of in order to become a successful entrepreneur and I had failed. Mm. So it was very hard for me to admit that because it had to come down to me. But I, I did manage to to pluck up the courage to go see him, and uh, so quite dramatically said to him that uh, if it takes me the rest of my life, I'll pay you back. Mm-hmm. And got up to leave his apartment, and he said, "Sit down and, and I crap myself." And <laughs> said, did, "Did I back you, or did I back the business?" And I said, "Well, you backed me." He says, "Right now, the business has failed. The moment you walk out that door, you failed." Mm-hmm. So what would you do differently if you had to do it again? And I said, I'd change the menu, the venue, the pricing. And I gave him a whole uh, list of things I would change. He said, this time I'm, I'm, I'll back you again, but this time I'm not going to give you money. I'm going to put people around you. And he gave me a whole bunch of people who supported me uh, through setting up a second New York Sausage Factory, a place called the Pavilion Shopping Center, a 52-square-meter little store, and that business took off. I sold that business about a year later. And then I got involved in the vehicle security industry for seven years, where I was the marketing director of a business that grew. It grew ten times its size in the first year, and then I went through that whole journey of building a business. But I hated selling. Uh, I hated selling gear locks and tracking systems because it was selling fear. You know how many cars are stolen every year. You know how many hijackings, etc. So I had a little ad agency called Meriton Saunders, who I was the marketing director. They were my supplier and they kept asking me to pay them early every single month. How long can you pay me early? Can you pay me early? I said, guys, what's going on? And they said, well, you know, things aren't going so well. So I said, let me help you turn around your business. Um, and they said, fine. And on the weekends and on, in the evenings, I started working with these guys and eventually we turned around the business. And on a Saturday morning at a, a Wimpy, these two guys leant over gave their hands and said, welcome partner. Uh, oh. and, and I became a partner in that business. So then I moved up to Johannesburg uh, to grow the vehicle security business uh, up in Joburg. And then another ad agency heard what I did with that ad, ad agency asked me how the deal worked. And I said, if I turn you around, I get equity in the business. I did that. And those were the two first businesses um, that I started working with. I, uh, i I then, at age thirty four three months before I got married um, I decided to resign from that vehicle security business and start what was to become RayCop with these two businesses and that 's how RayCop started with these two businesses, but this time i didn 't start without any any cash because my i didn't i wanted to know if I could do this without funding mm-hmm. and that that was a hell ride. For well, five years and two months uh, I, I, I didn't make a profit I borrowed all sorts of money I did all sorts of things with credit cards which are, apparently are illegal and um, uh, when, I think they call it kite flying I think that's when you get one credit card to pay I didn't, honestly I didn't know it was illegal I thought I was very clever and I did the same, thing with, um, the same thing with friends I had five friends and I borrowed money from this one and I paid that one and I just moved the money around and um, that was my overdraft facility. That's yeah. how I funded. Wow. So I borrowed a huge amount of money. And then the business became profitable in, in its fifth year. And we haven't looked back today. It's um, it's it's still a tough, it's a tough industry. I've got, you know, I, I pioneered this industry. Now we've got hundreds of competitors, a lot of mom and pop operations. Mm. Um but we we do good work. We do inspira- inspirational work. For me, you know, working with entrepreneurs is that's it's a great privilege to be in the place that I am, where I meet these young entrepreneurs that completely inspire me. I always feel a little bit um, geez, why couldn't I be more like that when I was that age, you know? So mm-hmm. it's it's really amazing to meet these young guys, and I'm. And I'm involved in all sorts of things. So, I just recently got involved in a drone business. I'm involved in a in a property business. I'm involved in a advertising agency. I'm involved in so many different things, which keeps me excited and motivated. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to do more, you know, of what we do.
0: Mm, amazing, great. I want to touch on ResCorp in the early That's days it. again. Um, there was um, the the power of the other perspective is a is a piece that you wrote on entrepreneur, entrepreneur Mag a couple of years back, and for me it's such an amazing piece because it really sums up uh, for me at least uh, and in many respects uh, what it takes to be a successful uh, entrepreneur today. Um, and there's a piece in that particular article where you describe when your first child was born, how you didn't even have enough money at the time to pay for his medical bills. Um, but obviously, fast forward to today, though, and you're now running an amazing company involved in tons and tons of businesses. But if, if you stop and you go back there and you say to yourself, well, you know, how the hell did I find it in myself to keep going despite that reality? I think that is something that entrepreneurs uh, really struggle to overcome um and because it's so doom and gloom so i wonder if you can unpack for us that, that that analogy the power of the other perspective as it relates to you know overcoming these fears of doubt and failure stay with us we'll be right back Yeah,
1: I don't remember the, uh, what I wrote in the article, so let's see if, uh, if uh, what else if it resonates with uh, what I say now. But for me, it's around two things, the power of the other perspective. I strongly believe that there is no such thing as reality that there that it's all, all these are all human constructs. the fact that we go to school is because somebody constructed this concept of kids at certain age going into a, a square room and they have a person who knows some stuff and there's a there's a thing that they call the whiteboard and, and and they these are all human constructs so the moment you understand that nothing is real you are you have the freedom to to um understand the world from a different perspective. So the first part is that if you ask yourself questions from a different point of view all the time, you can you come up with different answers all the time. And when you're stuck, when you're in an environment where you're stuck, where you can't m- move, we keep trying asking the same questions again and again and again, the same question. How do I solve this? How do I solve this? An important Technique that I developed was a, a technique which I call shift questions, where I come from a completely different perspective, as a, from asking completely weird questions to try and unlock that problem from a different point of view. So, there's a slow, let's call it a self technique uh, uh, which uh, which I do called shift questions. The second is, is is from the concept of a mentor or somebody else in your life. Where I had the environment where when I was in that first business that I was in, where I went to a lunch with somebody and at the beginning of lunch I thought it was all the it was all going to end. And we had run out of cash, and and and, I, and I, there was no more money. There was literally, I was coming to a month end, there was no more money. And I went to lunch. This man invited me for lunch, and I sat down with him. And he said, "Tell me about your business and why you're so looking so down." And I said to him, "Well, it's because uh, I, I've got month end coming. I can't find any money. I borrowed as much money as I can, and I don't know what to do." So he says, "Tell me more about the business." And I tell him, "He goes, oh, I'm so excited about this technology." I said. Yeah, but I can't pay. So he says, no, that's just a cash flow issue. Don't worry about that. Just tell me more. Tell me more about this thing. Hmm. And the more I sort of spoke to him about the fact that my reality is I'm not going to make money then, the more he dismissed it and said, but that's a cash flow issue. Don't worry about that. It's it's almost nonsensical,
0: eh?
1: (laughs) It's nonsensical, right? So uh, then I started getting excited about what I had. Mm. So he says, I I said, Dan, now how do I go from this? I can't afford all this. He said, okay, that's easy. So you need to structure, you need to view it like this. You've got this technology. You've got a cash flow issue. Now you need to find people to bridge that. Now go out and go and do X, Y, and Z call up all these people, and and which I did. So straight after lunch, I was so enthused. I was so depressed before lunch, and I thought it was all over. At the end of lunch, I was so enthused. By the way, he had to pay because I couldn't afford lunch. <laughs> but he had to pay. So he, so, and, and I went out, and I started calling all these people. I got appointments, and I got the funding. And they valued the business at the time, which I thought was bankrupt at 10 million rand, and we raised 3 million rand. Wow. Okay. By the end of that month, I was on the 20th of that month. I got by the 30th of that month I raised three million rand for 30% of the business. And this is in the previous business. Wow. So for me that there was such a great lesson or from my perspective at the time, mm. it was all over mm. Mm. You get 10 days later, you know, the business was valued at 10 million rand and i got 3 million rand Jeez. one, you know, so, so that was such a great lesson to learn as a 20 something year old
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think as entrepreneurs, you become so associated with what you're doing. You actually can't see the wood, you know, through the trees. Um, yes. and, and I guess that's why mentors are so critical, aren't they? Yes. Mentors
1: what, for me are... Sorry, carry
0: okay, huh? I was going to ask you, um, what do you, what do you look for in a mentor? What, what should the dynamic of that relationship be?
1: So for me, I have, I have a view that, I mean, we need different types of people in our life. We need uh, mentors. We need guides as well. But let's just talk about uh, mentors for a second. So for me, the more brutal the mentor, the better they are. The, the more PC they are, the nicer they are, the more of a waste of your time they are. Because we, we as entrepreneurs believe our own bullshit. And we are very good at selling our, 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 our bullshit to everyone. And when you're selling to somebody and they're buying and they go, like, oh, "That's very nice," that's one thing. When you've got a brutal, experienced mentor who says, "Like cut the crap, that's all for the public out there, but what's really going on here?" and you can get to that place of of integrity quickly, where where you you can feel vulnerable in front of that person very very quickly, and then we can get to the, the the nuts and bolts to deal with the issue the better. And I find there's too many in inverted commerce mentors who are such nice, wonderful people. They're motivational, Ra rah rah. You don't need the, the, you don't need. I don't think that's what we need as entrepreneurs. We, we we should be self-motivating and have brutal, honest mentors
0: who tell it as it is. Mm. What keeps you motivated?
1: Uh, I'm mission bound, so I'm one of those people who wants to build this to as big as uh, I can before I die. I plan to die at 93, I plan to work till I'm 90 and take three years to sort out my crap in in between there. I'm mission bound, Uh, so to me it's just about more and uh, how big can we build this, how many lives can we impact, what more can we do, what more exciting stuff can we do. So I don't, I'm 16 years into this business. I still get up every morning excited to go to it. Um, some days are painful. I won't lie. Some days, you know, it's not all um, a bit of roses. It's it's it's. Some days are really, really tough. We have people issues. We have system issues. You have Great internet issues. issues. You've, got like, you've got all sorts of issues. Growth issues, you've got all sorts of issues. Mm. But that's part of, of the pain. You know, in the pain is the growth. In the growth is is the learning and the learning is the experience and the experience is doing it better. Mm. And, and, um, uh, so what keeps me motivated is I, is, is like the big picture. I have a big vision of what I want to build mm. and, uh, and it'll take me a long, long time to do that. And, and so I wake up every morning building another brick towards that.
0: What is your vision that you're working towards?
1: So, so from a, from a racial school point of view, there's, there's a whole bunch. There's a huge education piece. I've just bought a school, a high school, primary and primary school. I want to get very much entrepreneurship into the education system. Right. So I've built, building out a curriculum with, that works within the context of caps as well. So that's a big piece that I'm building out right now. Um, there's from the, the incubation and prosperation side, the, 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 and the acceleration side, there's a huge amount of work to do there. Um, there is a huge Africa expansion. I'm working in many countries now in Africa and trying to expand what our model into the rest of Africa. I'm working also in the UK now to try and set up there. So, I have I have aspirations of building out a, a model that can be expanded and touch a uh, hundred thousand lives, ninety thousand at a time, hundred thousand, and not in low touch training videos or training sessions. I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. That there's no transformation that really happens in that. I'm talking about high-intensity incubation or prosperation intervention. So 100,000 at a time. I'm only coping now with 500, mm-hmm. right, which is a lot. I've got 130 staff right now, and it's, it's the, there's a lot of moving parts. So 100,000 is a big vision to, for for me, mm-hmm. and I hope to be able to work that out by the time I'm 90.
0: Oh, well, that's amazing! Wishing you all the best for that. I'm sure you'll you'll achieve that. No worries. Just an interesting thing you mentioned that you're expanding into Africa. You're working in the UK. Are you dealing in the US much at all? And what are your thoughts on the sort of incubator startup economy there?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's huge. I mean, I've gone to the US and I've looked at their stuff, and a lot of the guys come here to see what we, we we're doing. I can honestly say that we are light years ahead of what they are doing there in terms of the incubation. There's two models there, the Y Combinator uh, and, and Textiles that have got a, a different model, and they are really, really good at what they do there. But there's a very different VC market. The the VC culture, I'm not saying into the market, the culture is very different. And the, the entrepreneurs in the U.S., particularly Silicon Valley, are far more... Mature in terms of understanding about the 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 role of equity, and that you don't have to hold on to everything; that you give away a huge portion in order to build something huge. Mm. So so there's a cultural difference there, and the, the market there the, there's good great players that work within that context. Mm. But um, I have no aspirations right now, and it's uh, right now to go to the U.S. and set up there. I think it's it's a tough market uh, to to enter. So I'm going where. I think is most needed where our model works best, hmm.
0: uh, which I think is the
1: rest of Africa.
0: Okay. Speaking of your your model, what how would you describe the underlying magic of your particular incubator model?
1: Uh, our um our, our basic premise of our model is find the best, give them the best, and you'll produce the best. So to find the best, we've got an incredibly tough selection process that entrepreneurs. Have to go through to get into race but one in 20 you blind will get in we get 10 to 40 applications a day to, to, to join us sure. and we go through a, a, a huge uh, process in order to choose the, the entrepreneur and we look for what we call blue hearts and we don't look at the business plan I've written a book called lose the business plan I don't believe in business plans yeah. to me I'm looking for that entrepreneurs that that glint in the eye that like you could that fire that you can feel in them and I'm looking for that piece. Mm. For me, once we find that entrepreneur with blue heart, then we put them into our process, which is a very intense process. It um, requires a huge amount of commitment and to build the the, the process infrastructure and and their the mental paradigm, their confidence in order to build the, those businesses. Mm-hmm. And and we, and we're pretty good at it. We're not perfect at it by any means. We're still perfecting it, and I don't think we'll ever quite get there. But. Um, so, it's for us, we, when we provide the entrepreneurs with uh, with these, not just train, the training side, but we provide them with guides, five different types of guides, a strategy guide, a finance guide, a marketing guide, a sales guide, and a personal development guide. That team works with the entrepreneur. These are people with full-time for us. Just as an aside, one in 104 people who apply to be a guide are accepted. Wow. And then they have to go through four years of continuous professional development and CPD in order... Um, for them to remain at Race Corps. So they have to do a CEG, which is a Certified Entrepreneurial Guide, a PG Professional Entrepreneurial Guide, and a two-year Master's. So there's a, that's four years uh, of training just to be a guide of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. For us, if you've got that high-intensity, high-quality people working with you, you've got a high probability of success. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's that's the magic.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, I want to run a scenario past you because I guess what you're saying is that you, as a principal, right, that you back uh, the people or the founders, not the business, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So, so let's say that um, you're being pitched to. The guy's uh, got a startup. It's a tech player. Um, and he's pitching to you. Um, what qualities uh, and or experience do you look for in, say, the founders of that type of business?
1: So, first of all, uh, from the from, the, I want to see that they understand their business. I want to know that that if I say, "How do you make money?", that they can answer that question. They know hundred rand goes in the top and one hundred and twenty or one hundred and fifty falls out, and they know how the money moves in that in business. So, I want they have to understand how their business works. That's important. Number two, I want them to understand to see if they understand their markets. Okay, do they understand how their markets operate? Number three, I want them to tell, answer the question, why should I buy from you? Why would somebody buy from them or for somebody else? What are their differentiators? What's their USP? Do they really understand? Are they bullshitting themselves about that? The the, the next thing is, are, is there an obsession around their, their market? I mean, are the guys that we do well with are obsessed? Absolutely, there's this level of obsession around the industry that they, they are reading everything about the industry. So there's no ways I, I would ever know more than them about that industry. And I don't want to, but they need to be the the expert in that, in that industry. So, and then there's a level of uh, obsession uh, around everything. I look for that, like, but this is it. I don't, uh, they, they have to be able to handle complexity, but be focused on, on, on one thing in the business, but not looking at, Oh, there's an opportunity in this business. And I've got this other business on the other side. The moment they say, I've got this business on the side, I've got this other business here. I'm not interested anymore. Mm. Uh, to me, it's around this deep focus and obsession. Mm. Those are the guys. And they cannot be balanced people as well. Balanced people, for me, they, they, they use the word balance and my brain just switches off. i like, okay, it's time to go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, a, it's it's stop word. It's a stop word. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, so that's... Uh, yeah, so for me, those are the kind of things. But you can—I don't want to say you can feel it, but you—you you can tell the difference between somebody, in my opinion, who's highly likely to succeed, and somebody who's just messing around. Mm-mm.
0: That you mentioned that word, focus, and I think it's a, a word that I'd like to use as a segue into the question that I wanted to ask you around this concept uh, that you tabled in one of your articles about the entrepreneurial woozy zone. Uh, it's another yeah. place where entrepreneurial businesses go to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you unpack that for us?
1: Yeah, once again I write a lot of pieces. I can't remember everything. But let's say though the overseas zone for me is is where where you, your business, you start off uh, in your business and you and like everyone loves you. Like, are you this high tech guy and you've got all the sexy technology and everyone loves you and your mom loves you and it's all wonderful. And then you start having to build a business and in the, business, the beginning you've got two or three employees and it's all kumbaya, my friend. And then it goes to four, five, six, seven, eight. And then there's a baddie and there's a rotten apple. Now you have to deal with a rotten apple. Now, for the first time in your in, in you, you've got a, a you've got an HR in dread commerce issue, and then you've got issues with your clients, and then you've got issues with this, etc. You start going there, and 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 then you start to compromise. And I'm saying that, is, and you, and when I say compromise, a compromise on your quality. So your clients go and say to you, "Ah, oh, we want to go, we want to go with you, but you're too expensive. Uh, if you uh, if you cut down your quality a bit, then we can go with you." And then you say, "Okay, let me do that. Okay." And so now you've got a lower quality thing and you've accepted the other person in your business who's uh, just so that you like to, you don't take them on. And so you're wussy with them and you're wussy with your clients. And eventually you're wussy with everyone and the business implodes and collapses. That's the one choice. And I see too many entrepreneurs taking that wussy option one where they, they versus being tough and saying, this is my value proposition. I, I'm worth it for this. I will not compromise on my quality. Let's talk about other things here yeah, which we can do, but I'm not going to compromise on this. Not compromising on the work ethic of your staff, not work compromising on ethics of your staff uh, and your own. So to me, I see too many entrepreneurs start off and then they have to deal with like a real-world scenario where, they have, where they're challenged. They go from this glory boy to, oh, my gosh, uh, now I have to make some compromises here and, uh, uh, because I don't want to be disliked. Mm. So, uh, yeah, and and two two of them, too many of them, choose to be the wussy. Mm.
0: It takes a lot of guts, though. So, for instance, if you're running an advertising agency and your biggest client is First National Bank, the the, dyna- the dynamic of that engagement, like it's about. Um, you know it's about iterative reverts on particular creative outputs so um, in some instances you as the experts hence why you have that contract with the bank have a mandate to effectively tell the client to fuck off and just do this because it's the right thing to do Um, but inevitably the client always knows best because they have their stakeholders internally within within the bank and so therefore you're in this kind of you're between a rock and a hard place so um what are you in that kind of context is it, it takes a lot of guts don't you think and is it do you kind of trade off because you're trading off all the time aren't you
1: so uh, so i'm so glad you used the F word there so that's great i love this i love this interview already <laughs> um, so first of all i've been in that situation and yes you're right to an extent that you try and find the the way to convince them that the right way to go is your your way at the same time, you're listening to see if maybe your way is the wrong way. In other words, that maybe there is another way. So you're open-minded in terms of thinking, well, maybe there is another way in this person's right. So it's trying to balance the two. In a, and you see that in the power differential between big corporates and small business, there's an abuse of power. And, 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 and I don't like to be in those abusive relationships. So I will tell them to, to F off. I will do that. And I have, and I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you a, a true story. We were approached by a multinational uh, a multinational for a contract for two hundred million rand, yeah, okay, over five years. That's a lot of money, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So it's a two hundred million rand deal, but they, 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 We took them through the whole process, and a big part. You heard me talk about selection as as yes. as a huge part of, of what we do. They said you can do it, but we don't want the selection piece. On the Friday before, I presented to the board, which was on the Tuesday. They phoned me up and they said, we've made a decision. We want to go with you, but we, we don't want you to do the selection piece. I said, well, then you're wasting your money because then we're going to let anyone in and we're going to get a bad result and, and you're going to then blame us for it. No, but you don't understand there's all sorts of politics. So I met with my ex-co on, on the weekend, on the Saturday. Unanimously, five out of five voted that we will walk away from the deal if we don't do selection. I asked for a meeting on Monday. I went to them, tapped on, and I'm trying to explain to them why we have to keep the selection element. And and uh, and, and they asked me straight out, "Are you going to are you going to insist on the selection or not?" And I said, "I'm going to insist on the selection." I left. I didn't even get to the office. I got the phone call on the cell. Please don't come and pitch tomorrow, and we lost the deal. That's
0: but so I felt nothing. It's so arrogant. I felt. I felt
1: nothing. I felt like I'd done the right thing because i stuck to my, my my principles and what i believed was the right thing to do i didn't want just the money i wanted to add value as well and the way they set me up was that i was going to not add value so your whole entrepreneurial career you'll be faced with this dilemma what what i i'm not saying that i'm, I'm a, a sort of this uh, like this uh, religious guru or this like, that i'm perfect or anything but i'm i'm saying that rather err on the side of your values than on the side of money. Money will come later as well. Mm. As soon as you give up on your values up front, it's a hard climb back to get them back. In fact, very few people ever, ever uh, come back from that. You just go on a slippery slide down because Mm. you've just compromised now. And then what's the next compromise and the next compromise? Mm. So keep your values. Your values should never be challenge and and bullying should never be allowed because that talks to your self-worth as well. Mm. And you're worth something. You, everyone starts somewhere. They need to appreciate your, your, if you are excellent, they need to appreciate it. Maybe you need to get that across better. Mm. But one last thing on that is just that you, you've got to, I think you've got to also have an open ear to maybe you are wrong. So you have to be listening as well. And that's the dilemma as an entrepreneur is what's the balance between those two things? Mm
0: -hmm. I think if you compromise your values, you've lost, period. Uh, Because in that instance, let's say you did compromise, you would have got into bed or a business relationship with that particular client. And who knows, to your point, your instincts say that it would have not been you know, it wouldn't have worked out because that relationship would have soured, and ultimately, your business would have suffered as a result. And hence, then there's that ladder at that you got to climb up again, don't you? So, I think, yeah, I totally share your 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 and resonate yeah. wholeheartedly with your with your sentiments. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk tweeted the other day. You said uh, you mentioned the word um, wrongly. You said maybe if you're wrong, you should consider why or whatever. Gary Vaynerchuk t- tweeted something. The other day, I don't know if you know him. He's a social media kind of evangelist over in the states. He's, I'm sorry, um,
1: I've got too much grey hair. I don't know. No,
0: yet. no that's fine. <laughs> I'm just in the digital space, I live and breathe it. So, um, but he tweeted the other day. He said, uh, "If you're wrong, you deserve to lose." And I didn't, I didn't say that, share that sentiment at all because I think if you're wrong, I think there's there's more of an opportunity to question why and then learn from that. That that reality or that context. Um, what do you think about the, how an entrepreneur should should, for instance? when you're executing, you inevitably have to tack your strategy, right? Or you're, as you're executing in the market, the market needs are changing. Hence why business plans are irrelevant. And so you're wrong all the time. You know what I mean? Like every other day you should be wrong. And in that process, you know, you should be learning and shifting where your business is going or, or changing what you're building as part for a tech player, for instance. Um, so, so, what are your thoughts on that type of dynamic in terms of, um, of of acknowledging when you're wrong and approaching how to to shift and and learn in the process?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that that iterative process of trying, failing, learning, re, re, you know, reflecting, retrying, etc., is is the is the, the Refrain of the whole entrepreneurial journey. It's just that's what we do: is we keep making mistakes, we keep being wrong. You can't be right all the time. I think, I think maybe just to come back to to your 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 uh, dude's quote. So what I think what he's missing here is the fact that if you add if you if you make a mistake, if you're wrong, and and you don't have the desire or ability to to reflect and learn from it, then you deserve to lose. Mm. But if you, if you have the desire and ability to learn from it, then you deserve to win and you do win. And that's the whole process is that we can't do everything right. You haven't done everything right. I certainly haven't. And I don't know anyone who has Mm. the ones that, the the ones that that succeed are the ones that keep learning from their mistakes and get up again and again. So there's a level of perseverance. Okay. There's a level of tolerance of pain. Because you, you it's painful to make mistakes. And there's a level of a teachability that you can learn from your mistakes. If you don't have that, then you deserve to, to lose. But other than that, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we live in, in making mistakes. It's just like we swim through it, like every day. Oops, oops, oops. Oh, my gosh, oops. And that's why we want mentors who basically try and help us navigate this in a better way. And still with a mentor doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes. You're just probably going to make less. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That's such great advice, um, Elon. And I'd like to conclude part one of the show on that. And then I'd like to move on by opening up um, our community questions to you, if you don't mind. Sure. Go for it. Cool. So the first one here is from Paul. He says, uh, if you could start another business today, what kind of business would it be and why?
1: Um. Sure. I would, I would get into property. I think we'll, I would have got into property. If you ask me anything about property, ask me anything you want about property, whatever I say, do the opposite, okay? Because <laughs> I just can't say so, so to me, I would like, if I started again, I would want to understand property better. I think uh, I think if you understand property, you can make a lot of money in, in there. Yeah. Um, but quite honestly, I'd start this business again because this business for me has given me so much opportunity to learn about myself, I've traveled the world, I've spoken around the world, I've met presidents and, and princes and all sorts of people from the work that I do. So it's really enriched my life. And I think each and every one of us should not have that, that green monster in us thinking that somebody else's business is better. We all have our uh, issues in our businesses. We all have got ours, our great moments in our businesses and every business can be great and big.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you actually speak at the White House?
1: No, no. I was invited by Obama and the White House to speak in Kenya. When he went to Kenya to speak, I was invited to go and speak um, okay. in, in Kenya at the, the Global Entrepreneurship Summit.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. Did you, did you meet uh, Obama?
1: No, unfortunately not. I've got a picture of him, but no, <laughs> I did not meet him. Um, I, I did not meet him. No. Okay. All right. Cool. Next question. I've met, met other presidents, but not him. I wish I did.
0: <laughs> Guilty by association. Done. We'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. Simon says, do you regard yourself as a success?
1: No, I don't. I, 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 I the word success is a, a word that I have a big problem with. Mm. Because people, when people talk about all these entrepreneurs talk about being successful. I I use the word succeeding. I'm in the process of, it's a verb. It's not an an, an end point. I'm not successful. I'm succeeding. So you have to use the word success as a verb, as a doing word, because you you can be successful today and unsuccessful tomorrow and successful the next day. And you can be successful in love and not as successful in business and successful as a father, but not as a, as a, you know, whatever. Mm. So success is a doing word. It's not a end point.
0: Okay. Lovely. Um, next question from Lamey. He says, if you had race Corp, what made you found Spitz and Polish?
1: Pitch and, po- pitch and Polish pitch and is, and polish. uh, Pitch and Polish is, is one of our properties. I built Pitch and Polish about seven years ago, just about eight years ago. I built it out of a, I was invited by, um, uh, Gibbs. After the 2008 crisis, I was invited by Gibbs to to a thought leadership uh, weekend where we try to solve problems for uh, entrepreneurs. And I came up with a pitch and polish as a way to go into the rural context or peri-urban context to try and spread the word of entrepreneurship. And I used to do all the pitch and polishes in the beginning. Today, I'm just a judge at the end. Um, and so it's a property owned by RaceCorp that is funded by uh, NGN. Uh, and now Ned bank as well. So yeah, that's that's why I started it.
0: Okay, lovely. Um, Janet says, if there was one thing that you would change about yourself, what would it be, and why? My weight. I want to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be a
1: nicer person. Um, I want to be a nicer person, and I want to uh, I want to lose weight. Um, uh, yeah, I I, I, I think. I think we all, everyone has uh, of us has got our personal, uh, struggles around certain things is no, one's ever completely 100% happy with with who they are, where they are. Yeah. Yeah, But right now it's my weight. (laughs)
0: Okay, Cool. Nice one. (laughs) And then I've got Greg here. who says, what have you tried and failed at in the last week?
1: Uh, he's been listening to my, uh, my uh, Sunday night uh, tweets. I okay? go, whatever you try to tell me, nothing goes bad. So what have I failed at this week? Um, I uh, was supposed to um, complete a, a doc by last night and I didn't. Um, so I failed it at a meeting a, a meeting a an objective, which I had. I also I pitched this week and I didn't get a, a deal. Um I Also, I think have not done too well at this uh, this uh, interview. <laughs> uh, I felt I felt at a lot of things this so <laughs> week, uh, but I have a wonderful relationship with that. So I I get that I fail all the time, uh, and I just like reflect and try and be better next time.
0: Okay, lovely, cool. So that concludes part two. I'm going to just round off the interview now with some rapid fire questions. Uh, first one is: What problem do you face every day that nobody else has solved yet?
1: You yeah, are supposed to be rapid fire. My problem, the, <laughs> the problem is answering that question. <laughs> I don't know.
0: You could just say pass, rapid, there you go. <laughs> pass. Okay. okay, next one. Uh, what do people never ask you that you wish they did?
1: I wish they asked me to, to authentically help. Them. A lot of people come and ask me to to help them, but I'm prepared for, for the the. the the pain. They don't, they want the easy way out. So what I wish they would ask me is authentically ask me for, for assistance when they come.
0: Okay. Lovely. Cool. Um, I know we talked briefly about, uh, the word success and successful and so forth, but I want to have a different take on it. Um, where you, when you hear the word successful, who do you think of and why? I think
1: of, um, my mentor, who is a billionaire and I think of him uh, 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 because of one particular thing, not because he's a billionaire, because you don't know who he is. And he's probably one of the wealthiest people in the world is he hasn't allowed his ego to, to, uh, drive, uh, to drive him. He's, he's Underplayed, you wouldn't know who he was if he was in a room, um, and that to me I deeply respect. So it's for me, that's success.
0: Mm. Are you comfortable sharing his name? No. <laughs> Got to try. Eh? <laughs> okay, cool. So contrary to the word successful, uh, who comes to mind when I say the word punchable?
1: uh yeah, m- myself uh <laughs> after i go when i sometimes you know i i say i say things and i hurt people um when because i'm a little too forthright and i haven't read the the room properly and then i reflect back and i go I, I i shouldn't have done that mm. I, I i should have been a little bit more sensitive
0: okay i have that same problem every day <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Okay. Uh, right. So um, if you could go back in time to yourself, you now, but back to yourself when you were 20 and give yourself one piece of of advice about business, what would that be?
1: I'd give myself contradictory advice. The first I would say, chill. It's, it's okay. It's going to happen. The other thing I would say, the contradiction is get on with it now, get in because this is this is a um, exponential journey, and the quicker you get into that exponential curve, the better so those are contradictory pieces of advice uh, I watch this the the exponential nature of entrepreneur's life. You go from two, then you go to four, then you go to, you know, then you go to 16 people and so on and so forth and just grows very quickly. So the quicker I should, I I should have been doing more things quicker and I should have chilled about the fact that it'd be okay. Mm,
0: Okay. Um, What is the toughest decision you have ever made in business and what did you learn from it?
1: The toughest decision I ever made was that the situation you alluded to um, uh, w- w- around my kid, whether to carry on with business or not, when I couldn't afford, when I started the business and I, I had to go and borrow 20000 rand from one person and 2000 rand from another, and I, and I asked myself, what the hell am I doing you now? I like do I carry on with this in insanity mm. of just I had a, I had over a million rands worth of debt in those years, which was a lot of money. I had a business that was hemorrhaging cash, and I had a child that had just come into the world, and uh,
0: mm.
1: and what the hell was I doing? So that that decision has to be the hardest decision I've
0: ever made. Mm-hmm. There's an analogy I was given once by a mentor <clears throat> that I had when I was um, running a business in London and also got very, very tough. I was uh, financially broken and also just spiritually broken as well. And um, he said to me, you know what, Matt, basically it, it, there was, he was used as an analogy a story. And he said, back in the day, there was um, uh, a leader of uh, thousands and thousands of, of war hardened troops. And he put them all in ships and he had to cross, um, uh, a passage to get to the land that they were invading. And when he got there, he instructed all of his, his lieutenants to burn all the ships so that it would eradicate any, any um, alternate path other than to go forward. And for me, that was a story that I, that I you know, recount to myself all the time. And I think it's a powerful one mm. to, to, to share. Mm. Um, lastly, um, Elon, what is your why as an entrepreneur? Just sum that up for us. To,
1: to see where, to, to express, to, to create, to to enjoy the, the fruits of everything that I can create. When I'm creating, I'm happy. As an entrepreneur, I get the privilege of creating. Every day I recreate myself, I recreate the business, and I see whatever is in my mind I can bring into reality. And that is the, the gift of, of what, what I do.
0: Awesome, Elon. That concludes the your, your your digital kung fu show. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you with us today. Um, yeah, so thanks so much for your time, and uh, it'll be very exciting to see where the race call proposition eventually winds up.
1: Yeah, thank you for your time and thanks for being so much fun and using the (laughs) F word.
0: (laughs) 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 Catch us soon, Elon. Ciao, bye. -bye. Remember that the Digital Kung Fu Show is now on iTunes, so head on over there now and leave us a review. You can also catch the Digital Kung Fu Show on player.fm, Stitcher, and cliffcentral.com.
1: Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za.